The next of my posts was called Miscellany. I feel like this novel is a snowball that has been rapidly gaining volume and momentum, and sometimes when I sit down to think and write about it, it's hard to know where to begin and what I can possibly leave out. The focus summaries help to put me at ease in that regard. At least everything is distilled and revisited there. There has been so much worth discussing in these recent chapters, but I've had to restrict my commentary to the elements that consume my focus. Before I get to the one that captured my attention this time, I at least want to make passing reference to some of the countless other issues worthy of consideration. Like how shallow and intellectual Lebeziatnikov is, with his rationalistic theories that reduce human experience to a simple formula. They lead him to conclude that madness can be cured by logical argument, and to skip over to Raskolnikov and unfeelingly announce that Katerina Ivanovna is dead. Or how fascinating it is that Raskolnikov now finds himself in a state that wavers between panicked, morbid uneasiness and the complete apathy and abnormal insensibility seen in those who are dying. How Sonia still treats Raskolnikov like her own savior and with no trace of repugnance, taking his hands in hers and letting her head sink on his shoulder in her grief. How Raskolnikov is desperate to be alone, but feels followed by some constant uneasy presence that he can only escape when he's among crowds. His conscience, perhaps? How Razumihin clings again to the possibility that he got it all wrong, that he maligned Raskolnikov, and that his friend is innocent and good. How Raskolnikov is renewed by the prospect of another struggle with Porfiry. How, at the prospect of being arrested, Raskolnikov feels little anxiety about his future, but instead is overcome by an immense moral fatigue. How Sonia stands in his mind as a choice, between his way and hers, and how he does not feel equal to seeing her. How Svidrigailov has completed the descent into vice that Raskolnikov knows is one of the only paths that can lead from sin. The hints that Svidrigailov is not so at ease with his debauched existence as he would like people to believe. Like I will suggest Porfiry's does, his manner betrays him. His irritation at the mention of his visits by Marfa Petrovna's ghost. His tone of disgust and changed face when he insists that Raskolnikov not speak of suicide. And the utter vacuousness of his life, which he spends molesting women and staying for days at a time in dirty, wretched taverns. And that is only the beginning— this novel undoubtedly bears rereading. The only question is whether I will ever be able to bear it. The next of my posts was called A Voice of Genuine Conviction. In each new encounter with Porfiry, I begin with the expectation that Raskolnikov will be taken in by him, while I, the reader, will be on to his game. Yet every time I find myself strung along by him, always unclear where the game ends and the truth begins. This scene was no different. Let me lay out Porfiry's visit as I experienced it. 
He says that he has come to be open with Raskolnikov, and to offer him an apology for having been unfair to him, and for the indecorousness of their previous encounter. At this point, Raskolnikov is confused about whether Porfiry actually thinks him innocent. I considered that impossible. But what I was confused about is whether that is what he wanted Raskolnikov to think. Was persuading Raskolnikov that he believed him innocent part of his master plan? He then says he wants to explain how the whole misunderstanding arose, and to apologize for the suffering he has caused a man of such noble character. He likes Raskolnikov, and he wants to show him that he is a man of heart who can speak sincerely. Here, my uncertainty continued. He seemed clearly to be hinting that he believes Raskolnikov innocent. And yet, I became acutely aware that he has not said precisely what the misunderstanding is, or what he is apologizing for. He then goes on to say that given the rumors, the old woman's notes on the pledges, the scene at the office, the article, and Raskolnikov's conversations with Razumihin and Zamyatov, he could not help but be suspicious. And then there was that phony laughter he saw as plain as daylight, the repeated references to the stone in the garden, the bell ringing, and his utter silence when he was accused on the street of being a murderer. Now things got really interesting. He was again suggesting that his suspicions were misguided, and yet he was laying out compelling evidence that he had never before mentioned that thoroughly justify his suspicions. Perhaps from a hundred rabbits you can't make a horse, and a hundred suspicions don't make a proof, but he proved conclusively that he's been on to Raskolnikov at every turn. Then Porfiry says that along came Nikolai with his confession. And here things appear to take a sharp turn. He says he did not and does not believe Nikolai, whatever he told Razumihin. He regards Nikolai as a terrified peasant who has read himself crazy and has become convinced that he should take his suffering. He is lying, Porfiry declares, and he will soon recant his story. Finally, he looks Raskolnikov in the eye and tells him that he is the murderer and no one else, and he says that he should confess and take his suffering. He admires Raskolnikov. He believes he still has a full life in front of him. He wants him to find his faith and take his suffering, and then the flood will bear him to the bank and set him on his feet. At this point, I understood. Or rather, to be frank, I understood after I reread the chapter to create the commentary. Porfiry was, just as he said, there to be open with Raskolnikov. He was never apologizing for having suspicions, but rather for the torture he put Raskolnikov through in his effort to prove those suspicions valid. He was indeed there to speak the truth. Sort of. He very deliberately left his comments open to interpretation, torturing Raskolnikov again with uncertainty about whether he believed Nikolai's confession and thought Raskolnikov innocent. Whether he did so to further weaken Raskolnikov's defenses, or because such machinations are so fundamental to Porfiry's nature that he can't control it, 
he spoke to him in half-truths. Retrospectively, we can say that he was being honest, but his honesty was meant to mislead. But in the end, I believed him to be utterly sincere. I became convinced of what I had begun to suspect during their encounter in Porfiry's office. He does like Raskolnikov, and he wants to save him. The evidence was always there, in his voice and on his face. When Raskolnikov cried out in Porfiry's office, bringing his fist down on the table, it said this, quote, Hush, hush, they'll overhear. I warn you seriously. Take care of yourself. I am not joking, Porfiry whispered. But this time, there was not the look of old womanish good nature and alarm in his face. Now, he was peremptory, stern, frowning, and for once laying aside all mystification. Unquote. When he arrives this time to tell Raskolnikov that he has come to have it out with him, quote, almost at the same instant, a serious and careworn look came into his face. To his surprise, Raskolnikov saw a touch of sadness in it. Raskolnikov had never seen and never suspected such an expression in his face. Unquote. After he finally makes the charge of murder to Raskolnikov directly, it says, quote, Your lip is twitching just as it did before, Porfiry Petrovich observed, almost sympathetically. You've been misunderstanding me, I think, Rodion Romanovich, he added after a brief pause. That's why you are so surprised. I came on purpose to tell you everything and deal openly with you, unquote. And when he implores Raskolnikov to confess, and Raskolnikov says he doesn't care about lessening the sentence, it says, quote, That's just what I was afraid of, Porfiry cried warmly, and, as it seemed, involuntarily, unquote. I am convinced that he wants Raskolnikov to keep a good heart and have less fear, to fulfill the demands of justice, to brave the great expiation to confess, and to find fresh air. But then, just to keep me on my toes, on his way out he asks Raskolnikov in a tone of amusement to please, if he kills himself, leave his confession in a note. 